So when most young fellas are aspiring to be premiership footballers, then the names that generally come up are the strikers, the forwards. They're the ones who obviously score the goals. Uh, when we look at any kind of a final, there'll generally be most conversation about, like the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup recently, about those who actually score the tries, you know, those who actually get over the line and uh, ground the ball. Uh, good commentators, though, are well able to spot those who, in midfield, or those uh, who aren't, don't maybe haven't got the, the most glamorous of positions, but those who are doing all the background work. Like, uh, if you look at you know, any particular rugby try, how many phases went into the preparation for that, and who was instrumental in, in, in either making fantastic blocks or just choices or amazing passes, or whatever it was. The point being, getting the ball over the line or scoring a goal is only the consequence of everyone else doing their job. Do you know what I mean? If the midfielders aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, then the ball doesn't get as far as the forwards. If the, the, the blockers or the whatever it is, quarterbacks, whatever sport you're into, uh, it only works if, if the whole team is doing its job, if the whole team is doing its part. When we think of, of our own individual lives and, and our salvation, our, so our getting to heaven, I think we have a tendency to think of that more as kind of Golf, uh, in the sense that I think we have a tendency to focus on our salvation as an individual thing. You get to heaven, and then voila, it's you know all is good. You've you've achieved your destination. All is good. Somewhat forgetting, I think that we're part of a, a mystical body, so we're part of a we're part of something much bigger than, than than ourselves. There's something bigger going on here than just me getting myself to heaven. That's obviously badly phrased because no one gets themselves to heaven. No, we only get to heaven through the grace of God. But my point is, our, our, our focus is often just that when we pray about you know, for someone who, who has died and, uh, and, and them getting to heaven, that is absolutely wonderful and absolutely valid. But there's something else going on here which I think is, is, is worthy of reflection uh, on, on a day like today on All Souls. What I do and how I do it or what I choose not to do, actually has an effect on others too. So it's important, yes, that I collaborate with, with, with God's will for, from my life, but my actions will affect others. And this is obviously particularly apparent in a family where a parent's faith or lack thereof will, will, will affect their children. If, they, if the parents don't pass it on, yeah, the child might maybe through friends or through a youth group or maybe eventually through an addiction and then the recovery from that addiction, they may eventually uh, come across the faith or the Lord might find some other way. But primarily, the, the way that we discover our faith is, is through the lives of our parents. Phrase that negatively, if they don't give us a good example of faith, that can have huge effects on us. It can, it can be, uh, or if we see alcoholism in our parents, it's, it's, again, statistically borne out very tragically that so often the, the alcoholism of parents will be carried on in the children, even though the, the children lived through this awful experience of seeing their parent or parents uh, suffer because of alcohol, and yet they, they fall into the same trap themselves. It's like this is how mom or dad or both numbed their pain. And in my pain, I know it's wrong but I choose to do the same. 
And then there's the next generation then. So then that child then goes on to, to grow up and in the 20s, 30s, have children of their own. And their parents' coping mechanism was to drink. So now they're slightly neglected and so on and so on and so on. So there's something bigger here when we talk about salvation than, than just us, than just me. We're part of a body, so there's a whole like team effort here. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an expression in English, is it maybe? That a, a parish brings up a child. Is that an expression in English? It's an exp- huh? Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a child. They say something similar in Italian. Um, it takes a village to raise a child. So, like, there are lots of influences on us, and I have lots of influence on other people, whether I realize it or not. We, we influence each other. You know, my, my behavior, my action, reaction, my prayer, or lack thereof, all affects uh, other people. In the Catechism, there are two very interesting judgments. So again, we're talking about, about meeting the Lord after we die. When we, we think about salvation, <clears throat> I think it's very important to keep in mind that the Lord wants our salvation more than we do. The Lord wants us to get to heaven more than we do. I mean, he went through all of this, all the cross, passion, death, and resurrection, all of that, because he wants to save us. So at times there can be this kind of, this negative view of God, a dangerously negative view of God, that somehow we have to kind of uh, obey his rules and please him. And it's almost like a game of Simon Says. You have to know exactly what to say and how to say it. Uh, And then if you've pleased him, you can get into heaven. And if not, he doesn't really care and he's happy enough just to let you burn for all eternity. There's this, it's a very strange and yet common idea of God because if this is how God sees things, if, if God is so indifferent to the plight of those in, in, in hell or in purgatory for that matter, would you really want to be with him in heaven for all eternity? I mean, if he's that kind of capricious and maybe even cruel, would you want to be with him? So it's very, very important that we understand that God wants our salvation more than we do. The Lord doesn't want the death of the sinner, but that he would repent, as Scripture teaches us. So the Lord wants to get us to heaven. That's why purgatory exists. If a person dies and they, they're not ready for heaven, they're not ready for heaven, but like they know within themselves that, Lord, I, I don't know you. And... There are, there are, there's a weight of, of, of sin in my soul that I want to get rid of. You know, I, I want to be freed. I want heaven. I want to accept your mercy. I just, I don't really know how. I've, I've never lived life as I should have. I mean, our lives here should teach us what it means to live from God's mercy. Our lives here should teach us what it means to live a life of authentic love, which is selfless love, which is serving love, which is a self-effacing love. But at times we, we just make a hash of it. We, we, or through maybe the, the, the example of others, we never saw what that looked like. So we never learned how, how to live a life like that. So then you die, you find yourself before God, and you see him as he is, and you, you want that, you, you want him. You, you want his mercy. You want to be saved, and he wants to save you. So we now have to get a kind of a crash course in, in love, a crash course in, in how to love selflessly. And the greatest teacher of love, Christianity 
<clears throat> has always borne out this message. The greatest teacher of love is, is to love in suffering, to love while carrying the cross. That teaches us love like nothing else. Because then it's not about just uh, physical satisfaction or it's not about, you know, I love those who are easy to love. It's, it's loving when it's difficult. It's loving in grief. It's loving uh, in illness. It's loving amidst failure. It's loving amidst the awareness of your own sinfulness. So this is what purgatory is. So, so purgatory is not just like you have to do your suffering to suffer a bit to get into heaven. And once, you're, once you've suffered enough, then we let you into heaven. That's not purgatory. Purgatory, it's a school of love, which may indeed entail some, some suffering. I actually firmly believe it does, because that is what will teach us to love most. So, but the, the, the deepest suffering in purgatory is this, this aching for God. You know, it's like you've, you, you've seen what it looks like, what it, what it even feels like to be with him. And that's your, your, your greatest suffering along with the fact that we know that we haven't lived as we should have, but so this kind of repentance, this, this compunction for our sins, but the greatest desire, the greatest suffering is just this longing for God, this longing for him. So then as our time in purgatory <coughs> goes on, our, our longing for him increases, and this is what makes us ready for heaven. So that, that means that then that when, when our time in, in, in purgatory is over, I've longed for God for who knows how long. I've longed for him. And now I can finally be with him. So it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a wholesome thing. It's a healing thing. It's a healing experience to be in purgatory and to, be, and to long for God. So you're not there kind of begrudgingly going, ah, when, when will the suffering end and I can finally get into heaven where I can just relax? You know, I think I deserve a bit of, you know, TLC after all this time in purgatory. You know, that's not what it is like. It's... I, I, I'm there in, in purgatory going, I, Lord, I long for you. I long to be in this place where you are, in your heavenly kingdom. I long to, for, that, for that security. I long for that love. I long for that peace. I long for, for you to satisfy my every desire. This is, is what, it, what it is in purgatory. It's not just, you know, a step or two above hell and when you have your suffering done, up you go. That's, please don't misunderstand uh, the loving heart of our Father. So the, the Catechism teaches about two judgments after we die. And this is, again, I, I came across this and I was just blown away because I, I'd, never, I'd never come across this in seminary. Uh, so I, I learned this well into my priesthood, uh, quite late, I might add. But So uh, in paragraph 1021, it speaks about the particular judgment. So the particular judgment, this is the one we're familiar with. The New Testament speaks of judgment primarily in its aspect of the final encounter with Christ in his second coming, but also repeatedly affirms, affirms that each will be rewarded immediately after death in accordance with his works and faith. In the parable of the poor man and Lazarus and the words of Christ on the cross to the good thief, as well as other New Testament passages to speak of this. Okay, so after we die... <clears throat> Our lives are, they're over. Our lives here on earth are over. So our opportunities to do good, the opportunities that we had to do good while here, have now ceased. So the, the direct influence that we have on our children, parishes, cousins, uh, colleagues at work, that, that opportunity is now over. So what did you do with your intelligence, with your wealth, with your ability, with your beauty, with your music, with your talents? Did you use them for yourself 
or did you use them for the service of others? What did you do? So this is a, I mean, this is a, again, it's a, it's a startling kind of a question because we don't often think that our abilities, our gifts, our wealth, our beauty, our talent, our intelligence is supposed to be used for others. I mean, like a man starting a, a good business, employing 20 people, paying them honestly, trying to make a profit, you know, paying his taxes, doing, doing things the, the right way, that's, it doesn't look like sanctity, and it's not maybe the standard definition of sanctity. But if, you, if he works hard and provides employment so that 20 families can now have a good standard of living, he's doing a good thing. You know, that's, that's just using my intelligence. I, can, I see that there's a, a product that we can make that will benefit people, so off you go. It's a good thing. You know, it doesn't, hopefully he's consecrating his, his work and his office time and all to the Lord as well and, and paying honestly and so on. But like, this, this, is, this is a good thing. Uh, whereas if I use my intelligence just to, to connive and to deceive and maybe yes I make, I make millions in my family and I live, live comfortably but not honestly I've lived for myself and I'll walk on whoever I can or need to to get there then when I find myself before God he doesn't really care what size my house was or how many pools I had or how many bank accounts I had in Switzerland he doesn't care he doesn't care what did you do with the abilities I gave you? Did you serve? Did you serve? Did you serve others? Or did you serve yourself? So that, that question will be, will be asked of us, you know. What did we do with the, 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 our works? Were they motivated by self-love by lo- or by love of others and love of God? So along with that, the Catechism teaches about a, a last judgment or a final judgment, which I never, I never really heard about. Uh, and I think it's very important, again, to reflect on. In the last judgment, this is at 1039 in the Catechism, the last judgment will reveal, even to its furthest consequences, the good each person has done or has failed to do throughout his earthly life. So the ultimate consequence, the last consequences. So like I'm 44 now, give me 50 years and I'll be dead. Uh, I'll be 20, so 2074-ish. I'll be dead more than likely. Uh, come to my funeral, be nice, say nice things about me. Um, uh, so I'll be dead. And the, again, my opportunity to do good here will be over. But if I've lived my life well, if I've served well as a priest, the effects of my life will continue well after my death. Again, you think of a St. Patrick who died in the 5th century, you think of St. Augustine. Similarly, you think of St. Augustine, you think of St. Dominic, St. Francis, <clears throat> uh, 11, 12 centuries. They're dead a long time, but their lives continue to affect people positively. You think of even a Padre Pio who died in 1968, and yet people are still visiting San Giovanni Rotondo, people are still experiencing... Uh, either through dreams or through uh, his, his, his mitten, his second-class relic there, or first, well, first and second-class relic, um, experiencing miracles through that. So, but he died. He died a lifetime ago. And yet he's still doing good. So our, our lives continue to affect people after we have died. And that goes both ways. That works positively and that works negatively. If I've lived a life where I've given bad example, 
uh, if I haven't served and loved, if I haven't uh, given of myself, there was good that I could have done that remains undone. Or if I gave outright bad example, there are wounds now inflicted by me that will go on to affect other, adversely affect others and their children and their children. Like, if, if you imagine, if, if you're talking to a, to, to a lady who's find, found herself in some awful situation where she's been hurt and she's ended up pregnant and she's considering an abortion, and you talk to her, you love her, you support her, and she chooses life. Now that, that child then goes on to get married and have two or three children of their own, who then go on to get married, two of them maybe go on to get married and have four children apiece. Who, look, all those generations, all of that, all of that good that was done was due to that one conversation that you had with someone that saved a life. When you think of the, the consequences like of someone like a Stalin or a Hitler, uh, all of the hurt that was done by them long after they're dead, that the consequences of their actions continue. Now you find yourself then before God in heaven and you see 300, 400, 500, who knows how long, years down the line, the positive effects of your actions. Now if you've lived this life well, those, the positive effects will be innumerable. They'll be incredible. Things that you would never have imagined that, that, that people would have been affected by the words you said, by the things you did. And up in heaven, we won't be patting ourselves on the back for all this wonderful work done. We'll say, thank you, Lord, that all this could have, could have been done because of you, through you. you. You were the one who gave me the abilities to do this. I served, and then you worked all of these amazing things. But in, in hell, to imagine then seeing the ultimate consequences of all of your actions, all of the, the hurt that you inflicted, all of the, the good that you failed to do, and the, 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 the pain that was caused because of it, it'll be... I think there's a, there's a kind of a justice in that that we don't see now. But there's so much bigger going on here than just me getting to heaven. So we, we pray for our faithful departed, absolutely. But I think it's a, it's a stark reminder to each one of us that my time here is limited and the good that I can do now, I must do now. All I have is now. And once now is gone, we enter into an eternity that our actions have chosen. An eternity with God and the blessed or an eternity without him, which is hell. So when we when we're going through that, that the hard slog of daily fidelity, daily prayer, daily choosing the right thing, daily struggling to be virtuous, the daily uh, battle with, with our own sinfulness and, 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 and weakness, we keep in mind that this is much bigger than, than just you. Your actions, hidden though they may be, affect others. So Lord, we ask that we can use the time that we have now for good, to serve, to build up others, that they can enjoy the glory of heaven with you and that we can be there too. Amen.